Welcome to the School of Travels podcast. I'm your host, Becky Gillespie, and each week I bring you stories of how travel can truly change your life if you take the chance to get out on the road and step out of your comfort zone. My guests also share travel tips and lessons they've learned along the way, which I hope inspires you to let travel be your teacher. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the School of Travels podcast. I feel like so much has happened out in the world since my last episode with you all, and I truly hope that you're staying safe and healthy. But I also hope you're taking part in the greater conversation in our world right now around racial inequality to help build a future where all of us have the same opportunities. This week on the podcast, I'm pleased to introduce you to Ella Cook from growing up in Zambia to leaving her fiance and her comfortable job in Australia to move to Bali and try to reinvent herself. Ella has some amazing stories to tell about how to unplug from the matrix, restart your life, and focus on what you're really good at, and hopefully find yourself in the process. All right, let's jump right in and head to Bali with Ella. Welcome to episode 38 of the School of Travels podcast. And today I am here with someone I've been recommended to speak with from a great friend, Matt Bowles of the Maverick Show podcast. And I'm really excited to get to know her better. Ella Cook from Made of Magic. Ella, welcome to the School of Travels podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So Ella, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So um, so I'm living in Bali now. Uh, I am originally from Africa, from Zambia. I definitely have an Australian accent though. (laughs) (laughs) I have to admit, I thought you were Australian. Well, I technically am Australian in that I have an Australian uh, Australian citizenship now. So, but I, I lived in Africa till I was 16 and then moved to the UK where I spent six years and then Australia for eight. And then I've been in Bali for two. Um, I run a marketing agency called Made of Magic. Um, and we specialize in lead generation and sales for high-end retreats, you know, transformational retreats. But I also run a new, uh, launch a new business in January with my business partner who was previously my mentor and best friend now um, in business with. And we run an education program which teaches people how to um, do what I did at my agency. So we teach people how to create campaigns for and do sales for their retreats. So my agency model was very much a done for you service and the education program that we've launched called School of Magic is uh, is for people. It's a really done with you um, kind of mentoring program. So that's, that's actually become my main focus since January. It's amazing once you kind of find the thing that you love the most, you know, in and amongst what you already love doing, there's like a specific set of things that you love. And for me, that um, coaching, mentoring, and sort of high-level strategy, and uh, I found my sweet spot there. So I'm kind of winding down my agency now uh, and really focusing most of my attention on that. And so, yeah, I, I unplugged from the Matrix two years ago, and that's what took me to Bali. I left my fiance, quit my job, sold all my stuff, and started again. <laughs> um, and it's been a really amazing, you know, uh, two years of a, of a ride. Uh, and I love, I love my lifestyle in Bali. I'm, I love surfing. Um, I've taken up tennis in the last couple of months and I just love the amazing group of people who are you know kind of alluded to it they're like doing all the same sort of stuff as me and everyone's kind of creating their life very intentionally so it's pretty amazing to be 
um, to be surrounded by those types of people. So yeah, that's a bit about me, what I'm up to, doing my thing. Wow, there's so much there to unpack. <laughs> so much. Like, I mean, as you know, this podcast is called The School of Travels, and I like to focus on what you learn from travel. It, wow, to think about how you started in Zambia. And then, as you said, went to the UK, went to Australia, now you're in Bali. Do you remember what you thought when you were in Zambia about a life in the future of travel? Did you think about traveling the world when you were young? Did you think you were going to spend life in Zambia? It's a great question. I actually knew that we wouldn't be in Zambia forever because my mom, my mom's English and from London. And I, I think she, she never wanted to keep us in Zambia because it is a bit of a bubble. And I think that, you know, she wanted to give us an opportunity to have a different type of education other than the one that was available there sort of, you know, after, um, uh, after the age of, of 16. Um, the, the other options really were to go to boarding school in South Africa or to go to a school that um, my mom didn't want to send me to. So she loves the British education system. I subsequently hate it. <laughs> That's story for another time. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think she'd always put in my our minds that we were always going to leave. So I knew that the rest of the world was going to be available to me. But I had a very fortunate upbringing in that we traveled so much. Like before I was 16, I'd been to Madagascar and Zanzibar and the States and Vanuatu. <laughs> like, you know, just my dad, my stepdad was um, uh, an education consultant and traveled around a lot and, you know, earned a really good a good amount of money and, and just had, uh, we had amazing opportunities to travel. So I was really spoiled in the travel that I did do as a kid. All of the places that we stayed were like these five-star resorts. Um, it definitely gave me a taste of the good life, which has made it difficult to travel on a shoestring in my adult life. So I just don't do it. <laughs> but, but it was interesting because traveling the world as a kid was so different to traveling the world now, you know, as an adult. And I don't, I've actually never really done, I, I left England and went to Australia as a backpacker. Like I had a backpack with my life in it, but I settled there and didn't leave and didn't do the rest of the travel that I'd intended to do um, because I ended up getting a job and falling in love. Uh, and so I've actually never done the like, travel as a backpacker thing you know I've traveled I've been to a lot of countries and I've experienced a lot of the world but in quite a different way than I think most people my age have which has been amazing I wouldn't actually change it like I don't really like roughing it to be honest so, <laughs> you know I'm very like I love the outdoors and I love camping and that sort of stuff when it comes to travel and seeing places like I just love to be comfortable and now even more so you know I, I can run my business for anywhere in the world but I need to make sure that I have you know the right surroundings to do that I need a really good strong wi-fi connection I need a comfortable environment that I can get a good night's sleep I need somewhere that I can take a call quietly I need a space you know that I can work from I need food to be good so that I have enough energy so it's kind of it's all working out you know in terms of me being able to do the type of travel that I want uh, and I think it's good you know I'm in a position now with my business where I can create opportunities for environments like that. Wow so when you first started traveling after this family travel that you mentioned in the five-star resorts was it when you went to school you said you went to school in the in the UK is that right after I guess secondary school in Zambia? I did my A-levels and then I took a year out and then I did my degree in the UK. Yeah. Was there an option to stay in Zambia or was it always this thing like a deadline that you were going to completely move to a new country? Totally. Right. That, was, that was always going to happen. I think we actually were going to leave a little bit sooner. My godfather, who was living, was very close with us and was living in Zambia at the time. He's been there his whole life. He was very sick and um, we 
we were going to leave a bit earlier, so I would have been 14 when we left. But because he was sick, my mum wanted to stay. Um, and he, he sadly passed away the year after. And then she spent the next year, you know, sorting out his estate and everything like that. So it actually worked out well. But yeah, we we'd never... My mum had always planted the seed that we were going to be leaving in them, which, which had its challenges, you know, like I think expat life is difficult and it's stunning and it's amazing and it's extremely privileged. So we'll just get that out of the way. But um, it's challenging in that, you know, a lot of people come and go. You need to be ready to lose your best friend tomorrow if their parents decide to move away. Um, and I think that there's a part of me that always knew I was leaving and I always kind of I always had a sense of separateness about that as well because I'd, I'd been so used to people being ripped out of my life so quickly that I think a bit of me kept probably kept a, a piece of that so that the transition of leaving was uh, was easy. But it wasn't. It was very difficult. I think it was difficult for my mom as well. Do you have any siblings? I do, yeah. So there's actually there's five of us, but um, I have a younger brother who I grew up with. So my I'm actually um, the only child of my mum and my real dad. Um, he wasn't around when I was a kid. And then my mum met my stepdad uh, and then they had my younger brother. So he's four years younger than me, three years younger. Um, and then my stepdad had already had three children from his previous marriage. So um, there's five of us in total, but I kind of I have like a younger brother that I was raised with, if that makes sense. Like I've known him his whole life. So your brother and then the whole family, did you all go to the UK? My parents were actually only married, um, my mum and my stepdad for a couple of years and they got divorced. Um, so my dad actually moved, he's Scottish, actually sadly we lost him last year, he, he was Scottish. We, we moved, uh, he moved to Scotland a couple of years before we, so he was living in Botswana and so we used to spend half of the year really in Botswana and then school time in Zambia. Um, and so, uh, he left Botswana, I think a year before, a year or two before, no, it's been a year before we left. Um, and we would have, he would have flown us to the UK to see him for one summer holiday, I imagine. Um, and then, so, so he was already in the UK when we moved, he was already settled in Scotland. Uh, so, so that, but that was the last of the family. Like I don't have, my real dad still lives in Zambia, but, um, I don't really, I don't really, you know, see him, uh, very often. So. I've kind of, my, my tethering to Zambia is on a fine, a fine string. <laughs> um, I have very good friends there, but it's not, it's not somewhere that even, it does feel like home in that I, I was born and raised in, you know, Africa. That will always be a big part of who I am, but I feel like my home is, is, it doesn't, I think in, where my mum is, is probably, <laughs> is probably like a bit more where home is, if that makes sense. This is interesting because it's like a experience of leaving that place, like you said, just because you grew up there, it doesn't mean it has to be home per se, but you got to the UK and, and it didn't go well. No, it didn't. I mean, you can imagine what it's like for, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit mental. Like I, I have been likened to Tigger from Winnie the Pooh. And um, in that I have boundless amounts of energy and I love to run around. And so Africa as a continent, as an environment, as a, you know, Zambia with its culture and its space, it was the perfect environment for me as a kid. You know, I had a massive garden. I had a trampoline. I could do all of the sports at school. I went to a community school with like, you know, very strong set of values and a real respect for education and, you know, sense of community that I, God, I'm so grateful for. Like my mum and the rest of my friends parents were so intertwined with school and my mum knew when I had a French test coming up before I did you know and like because she had the French teacher over for dinner the night before so it's like a very small communal way of life 
um, with a lot of space and so much natural beauty. You know, our garden, I wake up here some, some mornings in Bali and at the moment it's dead. It's a ghost town and, and I'm actually down in Uluwatu at the moment and it's so quiet and I can just hear the, the crickets and the birds in the morning and that sound of heat. I can't really explain it, but it reminds me so much of my childhood, just this sense of space and expansiveness and like the world was my playground and it was, you know, like I remember making swords and wands out of sticks than like playing with Jack, my brother in the garden and like just crazy shit. And so that lifestyle of like total freedom and we had, you know, house help. My mom, you know, had that, we had a huge house. I had massive space and we went from that for pretty much 16 years of my life um, to the UK, which is almost the opposite. <laughs> like it's, extremely small physically it's a small space everyone lives on top of each other there's no sense of space um you know you can hear your I could hear my mom rolling over in bed at night and that wasn't because we lived in a, a tiny house it was a you know semi-detached house which is like it's good in the UK um but it was just this sense of like being on top of everybody and your neighbor is like right there and then the weather was really cold and and but not like snow cold like gray cold and then the buildings seemed to be the same color as the sky and then the people seemed to be the same color as the buildings and there was this um very strong drinking culture and kind of almost like a complainy culture that seemed to exist because people weren't very i don't think thriving under those living conditions um, and so when I got there, I was, we were all a bit, and I can imagine how difficult this was for my mum as well, you know, a massive culture shock. Um, and, and it took us a long time to adjust, you know, my mum, we were helping out with all of the housework and my mum's always been brilliant and never making us feel like we were just entitled to, a, you know, a certain way of life. Like I stopped being able to put my clothes in the laundry bin when I was 12. And so my mum was like, well, you're doing your own laundry now. Like literally maybe do my own laundry from the age of 12 because I couldn't follow instructions. So I don't think that we'd like, we weren't sort of these like ridiculously, you know, privileged kids being like, I don't know how to wash a dish. But um, but there was certainly an element of like, wow, <laughs> this is, is extremely different. And, and I think with where I was at that age, I was extremely impressionable as well. I'm very curious and hungry to experience life. And I, I just ended up honestly going completely off the rails. Like I, my mom put me in a very, a very good, very um, structured, very strict school that was all girls private school. And it's like a very well-known good school, like Judy Dench went there. And that was just like the perfect thing for me to rebel against. <laughs> it's like I'd been waiting for something. <laughs> so like, I just felt so caged and restricted that, um, you know, everything that was asked of me, I was like a no. And, and when my mum tried to impose, you know, rules like you need to be home by 10 o'clock, I was like, actually, I don't because I don't live behind a 10 foot wall anymore and I can just go do what I want. And so a year after moving to the UK, I left home, um, which really changed the whole dynamic of me being in the UK. I fell in with a very bad crowd of people who were just, you know, not living a good lifestyle. Um, and it was a very turbulent time for me um, over those years. The UK just, it was so different from Zambia and the weather and the space find more of that return to space and like your childhood when you went to Australia yeah yeah definitely Australia was like um I watched Blue Crush when I was like early teens and I was like man surfing looks so cool and like 
this lifestyle of like living on a little island and like I had I've always been a bit of a hippie and I loved you know I had like pictures of like Volkswagen Beetles and like surfboards in my house even though I'd never been surfing and I've never had that experience I just had this this image I think my mum was a total hippie growing up and I just saw all of that and I kind of was very attracted to that lifestyle um and I really just wanted to get the hell out of the UK I was so ready for a change of scene and I thought and it was very easy for me to get a visa um to go to Australia for a year so it was and it was very affordable it's like 300 or something so I was like yeah screw it let's definitely do that I didn't really have a plan but I just said yeah let's go um and as soon as I arrived my cousin my Scottish cousin was living there and I stayed with her on the Gold Coast in Queensland and um immediately fell in love with the place like white sandy beaches I could walk places it was like the, the wildlife was the same as at home so much space the Aussies were just like so laid back and chill um and I yeah I had this sense of like I did have a very sense of familiarity and uh and and comfort I think I knew that I would be very happy there and I had visited Australia before with my family with my dad and we'd gone on a holiday so I had been there and I knew that it was very similar to back home so yeah I think this Australia was a I mean I had a wonderful life there for eight years like it was it was it's, it's a wonderful place to live it's extremely expensive the cost of living is very high um but in terms of quality of life wow you know I could there's there's very few places apart from Bali now which is has its pros and cons, but um, yeah, Australia was an amazing I've been only once to Australia, and I know how much surfing is a part of life on the coast there. And is that where you learned to surf? Yeah, and I mean, learning, learn to surf. Did I learn to surf? No, <laughs> I think I've learned to surf in the last year since I've been here. I wanted to surf from day dot, and actually the day I met my now ex-fiance, I was um, bodyboarding because I hadn't quite worked up the courage to go and rent a soft top deathboard yet. But um, yeah, that was like my primary reason for wanting to move there was I was going to learn to surf. And so very quickly bought a surfboard and was getting out there, but I never got lessons. <laughs> so, and so, and I'm, I'm very, you know, adept in the water and I'm a strong swimmer and all of that. And I'm, you know, I'm quite athletic. So I picked up a version of it, but I didn't do enough in the way of, um, of, of lessons and do anything in the way of lessons. And I now knowing that what I know now about myself, but also just the learning curve, I think that would have been a much smarter move. So I floundered for about five years, to be honest. And, um, I I'd say like, I got waves, you know, but, and I went surfing with my boss quite a bit towards the end of my time there. And I got much bigger waves, but I never really grasped the concept. And I think, had it been any other conditions than what I was used to, I would have been like, I don't understand what I'm doing here. So when I moved to Bali, um, I got a surf instructor pretty much straight away. Um, I, I had a long journey of things to go through myself in Bali. So after that was all kind of over like a year ago now, um, I jumped straight into surfing and I have been hooked since. Like I bought my first my first surfboard in Bali, but also my first custom board, what, like a month ago, two months ago now. Um, and just want my life to revolve around riding it <laughs> because it's such an amazing sport and now that I've had the the lessons and the time in the water that I can go to a new surf spot and it's better if I'm with someone who can surf because it's you know it's just a lot easier than than trying to work out 
where to catch waves and, and which ones. Um, but I've started surfing a few different spots. I go over to Lombok um, very frequently, which is one of my favorite surf spots. And uh, yeah, it's an amazing, it's, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a lifestyle. I think that's one of the things that I love so much about it is that you really do just chase waves, you know, and if, if the surf is good, well, everything else is out the window because we're getting in the water for hours. And I, there's no, nothing that I love more than getting up at five, um, being the first one in the water and watching the sunrise and catching waves on my own. It's, it's, it's my, beyond the happy place for me. Wow. So it all started with Blue Crush. It did. It did. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's, 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 and, you know, I think as well, I really love, I really love girl surfers. I love chick surfers. I think that surfing is, it's not one of these sports that you can kind of half-ass if you want to be good. You really have to put the time and effort and you really have to have a lot of courage. You know, some of those waves that come through are fucking huge (laughs) and you're like, ah, (laughs) and you've got, if you want to get better, you've got to paddle for them. And you're, if you're going to, it's like, the the number of times that you are going to fail in surfing if you want to get better is like it's guaranteed that you're going to stack and bail and get wiped out a bunch of times and it's really scary and I've I'm I've injured myself a lot from it um and it's all character building (laughs) and I love I love the feeling of getting completely destroyed by a wave having my adrenaline coursing through my veins, finally paddling back out the back, sitting there catching my breath. And then that moment where I go, well, you're going again. And you've, and I've got to muster up the courage to get the next wave. It's like, I love that feeling. I love the challenge that, um, that it presents every time I go out. It's a little bit bigger than a couple of foot. I love that you just really painted this picture of like the philosophy of life through surfing. Yeah, <laughs> I could see how it can really build you as an entrepreneur as well, and just any challenge you're trying to tackle. Totally, I think um, it's funny that you you bring that up because I think I mentioned that on Matt's podcast. Like surfing, surfing is such a, a an analogy for my life. Really, like I can kind of I can kind of measure my life by the way that I'm surfing, and also I think the way that I had surfed up until I got back in the water here in Bali was really representative of how I lived my life. You know, I, I kind of, I kind of didn't go all in and I kind of half-assed it. And I like, I liked the idea of being a surfer. It was like cool to have my surfboard and, you know, be at the beach and like, Oh, let's go get some waves. But like, was I getting waves? No, I was like sitting on the edge watching everyone else getting waves, like pretending to paddle for waves um, when I did, I hesitated a lot because they were big and I didn't know what I was doing. And, and so I'd bail a lot and then I'd get in the, pe- the way of people. And I think that it was just, it was just such a good metaphor and representation of the fact that I just wasn't going all in on life either. And now that that's changed hugely for me, seeing me surf now, I'm like ballsy ass. How did you make that change? How did you go from paddling on the edge to going right for the middle of those big waves? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a story in itself, but I had a very intense breakdown when I got to Bali uh, two months after I'd been here. You know, I'd left my fiance of eight years. I quit my job. I sold everything and I started again. And I had such a, there was such a gap between the way that I was presenting my life to the world and the way that I felt 
when I went to bed at night. You know, my Instagram life looked amazing. You know, I was living the dream. I was a digital nomad in Bali. And the reality was that I was so fucking miserable that I was drinking myself into oblivion every three days. And because of that, I was missing deadlines for my agency and I'd taken a freelance gig and my business was going nowhere fast. And I wasn't earning, I was earning enough money, but I wasn't earning you know, good enough money for me to be able to do anything with my life or with my future. And I, and I didn't really have a plan. Um, and so like inevitably, you know, everything kind of came crashing down. Like when I chose to completely abandon my old life, but didn't create a new one, there was just this vast space in the middle that I just sank in. And so I really, I, I, you know, I experienced depression. I had suicidal thoughts. I was so low and so unsure of my value in the world because I, you know, I just explained to you about how I felt about surfing. Like, imagine what that's like to be in that of like just beating yourself up every time you get out of the water, being like, I didn't get waves, you know, and like, fuck, like, I really want to be good at this. I really want to enjoy this. I just want to have fun. Why is this so hard? Is how I felt about life. And so, you know, I was just kind of sick of that. I was, I was sick of pretending that life was better than it was and I just knew that there had to be a better way so I really kind of decided to start again entirely and I my only value my only my only guiding principle was that everything that I did needed to be truthful you know and and that was just the guiding star that I used to move to rebuild my life and so you know I was like okay you want to surf like do you do you like surfing or do you like the idea of being a surfer like what is it so I was like no I really like surfing like I love sport I love the water so like get out commit and see if you'll do this and then the more I did it, like I started off same, same challenges, like, you know, not committing enough, getting, and then it was just this, this, this new space of like, no, like this is some, this is what I love. I love, love doing this and this can be fun. I just need to push through this little threshold. And once that happened and once I really committed, like I went to Lombok for like 10 days and I got an instructor and I surfed morning and night and I was like all in. And now surfing is so enjoyable I don't ever have a bad surf because I kind of decided to push through that that threshold and I think to answer your question I made a commitment to myself I'm with this breakdown and with the rebuild the commitment that I made is that like this is my life and these these are my feelings and my emotions and it doesn't matter what it looks like to the outside world like you just need to I need to make choices that mean that when I close my eyes at night, when I'm present in the moment, I'm thinking about my levels of joy and happiness, that there is no gap, that I am butted up right up against the edge of the excitement and joy and, and you know, fulfillment that I, that I feel in life. And that has forced me to take an entirely different approach. Commitment is one of the scariest words for me, has been one of the scariest words for me you know, I, because of what happened with my childhood and my dad leaving and all of the things, I grew up with such a fear of abandonment that it's easier for me to like break things, throw them all away or run away from them before they hurt me. And so that's led me to be really like lacking in commitment because I'm like wanting this sense of freedom always. And someone very wise recently or a year or two ago now said to me that actually commitment is the ultimate freedom because once you commit to something, it gives you the space to, um, to, to go all in. Like being in indecision and kind of flitting between things is a drain of energy. 
and you know doesn't help you stay focused on actually having that commitment produce something and so that's been a big flip for me (laughs) in all areas of my life you know business health relationships everything and I have to say that it's it yeah committing just to myself, first and foremost, has given me such a sense of liberation. Congratulations on getting to that point. It sounds like it was really a struggle and lots of, like you said, falling off the surfboard, lots of failure, but then getting back up is the most important thing. Do you think that committing to that schedule of getting the teacher in Lombok and having somebody waiting on you and that you had to be somewhere at a certain time every day, do you think that was a big part of it? Yeah, I think that, I mean, I was always going to get up and go. Um, I, I've never been, you know, I would, you would never have thought that I wasn't committed because I rocked up every day. You know, even when I was in, in Australia, I was there. I just wasn't doing it. <laughs> you know, I was still at the beach every weekend. I still owned a surfboard, but I, when I was in it, I wasn't in it. And um, I know that I used to think that asking for help made me weak. Uh, and now I know that that's one of the strongest moves that you can make for yourself is, is knowing that you don't know what you don't know and that you need somebody to help you with that. And actually, you know, hiring the right people, whether it's a surf instructor, you know, a, a business coach, a, a, you know, a women's coach, whatever it is, and I've done them all, is, is such a power move, I think, compared to the way that I used to view things. And I knew that for me, accountability was going to be the difference because I looked at surfing and I looked at the weak parts in that experience for me. And one of them was, oh, the surf's a bit big. I'm afraid to paddle out and go for the wave. So I needed someone there to push me, sometimes physically, but also mentally. The others, the other thing was people, like lots of people freak me out because I'm afraid that I'm going to drop in on someone's wave or I'm going to get hit by someone's board, you know, or I keep paddling, but they always get the wave, so I don't get any. So that was a sticking point. I knew that if I had someone there, they would tell me when when to go. The other thing was like getting a really bad, like bailing really bad, getting wiped out really badly, and then getting the confidence to go back out and, and catch waves again. And so I looked at that, and I, I had one in, one lesson, and I got more waves than I'd gotten ever surfing and I was like this is the thing because I know that time in an activity like you know that concept of the 10,000 hours like I know from what I've read about the brain and how we learn just being out there actually surfing for long enough would make me better I just knew it was like inevitable (laughs) you know so I was like just get out there and do the thing and that level of accountability of having that guy there with me every day and he was he was core mission like we did a wave count every day his core mission was for me to get at least 20 waves a session for like two two hour session and like we would go hard until until we got them and I remember on my last day there I he dropped me off because we were on the boat and he dropped me off and and went and uh parked up the boat and I I just got waves after wave after wave and he, he paddled into the water he's like you don't even need me anymore <laughs> and I was like well apparently not but I didn't even know that until he wasn't there for me it was just like it's like the training wheels so you know type type situation and I just think that I just think that was such a smart move and I've done the same for tennis you know my tennis game was I've always loved tennis and I've never been any good at it my mom was like you should get lessons and one of my friends started playing and I was like I really want to do this but if I'm going to do this, I need to commit to it because I hate losing. I'm very competitive and I don't like being shit at something. <laughs> so, and I played, I played with the guys, with, with my friends and one of the girls is as bad as me. So that was okay. But 
the boys were really good and I was just like, I don't want to be bad. And so I had to commit time and money to doing it. And my game has improved massively. I play almost every day now. And uh, I mean, there's definitely a part of my personality that's a bit of an addict and I definitely like to go all in on something. But I also, I think that that used to have a really negative consequence in my life. You know, for example, drinking or drugs or men or whatever it was, there was something that I would throw myself into and use as an escape mechanism. But I'm also, I've, I've learned that I'm also addicted to learning. Uh, and that's really healthy, right? If it's done in the right way. I do notice now that sometimes my uh, addiction or an indulgence in a particular sport would be really physically taxing. So, you know, I've got a couple of injuries at the moment that I'm nursing and I really shouldn't be playing, (laughs) but I am. (laughs) Um, So there's definitely a balance between like going all in and also, you know, having having some downtime. I don't even remember what your question was now. I think it was about the surf instructor. Hopefully that was uh, relevant and insightful. Yes, like just to see how accountability and making a commitment to someone else being there as well is so helpful in making making a transition like that, like you said, someone who has a difficulty with commitment, you weren't being there for yourself, you weren't committing to yourself. So I could see how beneficial that would be making this commitment to yourself with a sport, something you really wanted to learn a passion. How has that translated into other areas of your life? I know you're mentioning men and leaving your fiance in Australia, moving to Bali. Has that commitment to yourself translated to other parts of your life? Oh my God. Yeah. It's just got a really beautiful feeling in my body. When you said that to me, then I was like, yeah, it has <laughs> like, I, I mean, so many, so many examples, you know, commitment. We'll, we'll talk about my business first. So, you know, when I was in Bali at first, I was very like, I'll do a bit of this. I'll do a bit of that. And it, I just was so uncommitted really to what I was doing. It was so half in, um, which just seems so strange because I have so much passion and I can be so, I'm a very immersive person, you know, like I, I can't have shallow conversation, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm all in. And so it's, it was so annoying and upsetting for me that I couldn't find this level of required commitment for my business. And, and one of the reasons for that was because I didn't know how I added value and my mentor and friend that I was living with, Scott, um, who I now is now my business partner he he gave me the system and 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 the blueprint the roadmap to be able to build a business um that worked which is essentially what i built for myself and it was all around the idea of just getting really good at one thing and becoming like completely like being able to completely leverage that um because you know that that's the way that you can add value is by finding a really good problem to solve and i had spent most of my life professionally being a generalist which meant that i could do lots of things but i wasn't a hundred percent committed to one thing and i loved being able to kind of i love problem solving it's one of my favorite things to do so it's hard to be like it's hard to find yourself as an expert in something if you like the variety that, you know, general jobs give you. And I've been in general marketing management or digital marketing management for most of my career. So the idea of specializing was like, nah, I don't want to do it. I felt like I had this massive resume that I was just going to have to chuck away in order to do this one thing. But I'd also done 
the generalist thing for long enough to know that it wasn't working. I wasn't feeling like I was getting the results that I wanted for my clients. And so, and I didn't know when a job was well done. And I also know about myself, and I think this is quite common amongst most humans, but I know that I need that positive reinforcement. I need to know I'm doing a good job. <laughs> and if you don't have, uh, you know, a flag um, or a milestone in the sand to measure yourself against, it's really hard to do that. And so when when Scott asked me to commit to a specific product offering, you know, in the service space and a particular niche, I was like, no, <laughs> like, I want to do all the things. I was like, but I can do this and I can do this. I can build websites and I'm great at SEO and I'm good at Google AdWords and all the things. And he was like, yeah, that's really great, Ella, but like you need leverage. And in order for you to have leverage, you need to get really good at something. So, you know, he'd given me such amazing advice up until this point. And it's like when this, when you've been doing the same thing that doesn't work for long enough, you're kind of open to trying something new. <laughs> so I was like, I'll give it a go. And I chose to commit to the retreat space because it had been such an amazing, um, you know, part of my healing journey. And I just saw the opportunity to support these people, the, these amazing leaders and facilitators. I had no idea how to market themselves. Um, and the I, once I grasped the concept of, again, the freedom, that commitment to one particular product gave me, for example, I, I in my agency, I offer a lead generation and sales system. And it, and it is from my end, a repeatable product, right? Like I'm not reinventing the wheel every time I go to market. I am producing a new campaign that has different story, different messaging, different everything. It's 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 dressed up completely different, but the fundamentals are the same. Once I realized how much freedom and, and, and profitability that, that generated in my business, I was like, damn, like only do one thing. Because <laughs> it's like, and then people would ask me like, can you do this? I'd be like, nope. <laughs> yeah, sure I can. But that's actually not going to get me to where I want to go. And and it, and that commitment to um, just serving one space, I've, I've become known as the retreat person. Like you want to market and fill your retreats, go and speak to Ella. Um, and like that's applicable to the transformational space now. And so that was huge uh, for me. And I think one of the things that Scott was so, so helpful on is the idea of focus as well, because I am a very creative person and I like to have flow and in my life and I like to feel um, free, right? And so the idea of dedicated focus, deep work time was like, bleh. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Um, but Scott really helped me to see that by dedicating 100% of my time and energy to one thing at a time, I could actually move the needle. Uh, and that became quite addictive in itself, just like sitting down, phone off, timer on, go in on a task and get it uh, and get it done. Um, and that's something that I still struggle with, absolutely still struggle with. You know, dis the discipline to sit down and do that is hard for me, very, very hard. But what I have learned is that the like what are the conditions around something that will actually make me want to commit to it if that makes sense like for example this week I'm taking the week off because I was finding last week and the week before difficult from a commitment perspective um, and I realized that that was because I wasn't fully out when I so I kind of took a break because I finished up with a big client like last week but I kind of didn't take a break I was kind of still working as well and I was like half in half out again <laughs> and it was making me feel like I was I wasn't really doing the time off thing well and I definitely wasn't doing the business thing well so Scott was like just take like a week off just take the full week off and do nothing and I was like 
ah, <laughs> but it was amazing and, and it's already produced an amazing result for me. I can't wait to build that routine back into my life. I'm going to get a new office space um, and really go hard. At, at now I have just one thing, my agency, I'm not looking to wind up again after they're finished up with this last consulting client. And I really just want to go all in on this program and really, and really support our students and grow it as much as possible. So that's like the business side of things. And maybe if I have a few more minutes, I can just quickly talk about the relationship side of things because this is a definitely an interesting interesting point for me. Oh, sure. I mean, this is a big part of travel too. The people you meet and connect with. <laughs> well, here's a good one for you. So I'm going to be extremely vulnerable and share like what is currently happening in my life. So I left my fiance and that was like huge because I had pushed so hard for that commitment right? Like I pushed so hard to get him to propose to me and to want to marry me. Um, turned out that was only something that was on the, the checklist that society had given me that I needed to do, you know? So when I realized that I didn't actually want that with him and I didn't want that for myself at that time of life, I got thrown into like, we'll do whatever. And during my breakdown, I realized how much of my time and energy was going into men and relationships. And it was honestly embarrassing, like obsessive, like rumination, you know, molding and manipulating my own behavior to, in, you know, trigger a response from them, like really unhealthy stuff. And I, when I had my breakdown that day, because it was like a physical meltdown, right? Like over like a 24 hour period, then it was like two days, actually, I just like lost my shit. Uh, and I said, the first thing I said, I was like, I'm done with men. Like, for the foreseeable future, I need to just completely wipe this part of my life out because I'm not able to show up in a healthy way that it's definitely, this is definitely not serving me. I just knew that the way that I was approaching this, I was so triggered by previous traumas, previous paradigms, previous experiences, um, and needing so much validation from it that it was just not healthy. So I chose to like completely opt out. And then, and that was great. It was a really smart decision. And I got about 60% of my time and energy back, to be perfectly honest. And then I, I started, you know, I started dating again, like last year and it didn't go so well for me. I, I still found that I was triggered by a lot of stuff and I still found that I was needing this validation but with every new relationship that popped up and they didn't last long because they, they just, they didn't go anywhere because it was like, I was just not able to experience them in a positive way. And obviously it affected the other person on the other side of it as well. But with every relationship, I felt like I was getting closer and closer to, to the real pain that lied within, you know, like that thing that was like getting in the way of me being able to have what I wanted in that space. And I'm really grateful that none of them stuck because they, I wasn't ready for them and they would have completely taken over my life and retaining that sense of independence was one of those, those things um, that I was really afraid of doing. Um, and it's funny that we're talking about commitment today because so November last year, I'd kind of had like one too many shitty relationships by this point. I was like, and I used the, the phrase, the, sorry, the word relationship very loosely because they were like dating experiences, but I tend to build relationships with people quite quickly. So they were little mini relationships, but kind of the last one left me spinning a bit. And I was I was kind of a bit like, I'm kind of a bit over this. Um, and there's a certain vibe of dating in Bali. I, I don't, you can only imagine what it's like living there full time and then having transient people 
come in and out and and also I think a lot of people go to Bali like if they if they've not been there a long time they're kind of still exploring like I was when I first arrived you know they're still in like this finding themselves kind of phase um which is cool we're all still trying to find ourselves but definitely not really in a commitment phase (laughs) um and even though I don't think I actually was either I think that's what I was you know looking for so in November I decided to take a three-month break and this was like different from the break that I'd taken before for starters that break only lasted about a month but also this one was like really hard for me because I was in a really healthy headspace like I was loving life I was in you know I was, I was in great shape. I felt physically confident and beautiful. And, you know, so for me to just like wipe this out of my life was, was a bit of a challenge to do. And that was why I did it because my friend was like, why don't you just not date for a few months? And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, why would I not do that? (laughs) I love dating so much. I love men. This is nuts. Um, but because there was so much resistance, I was like, damn, I should probably do it. And also, you know, I'd seen how much impact these, these mini relationships were having on my life and they were so disruptive. And my business partner, you know, was like, I just don't know how you've got the energy for it, Ella. And my girlfriend said to me, like, what would happen if you diverted all of this energy that you spend in this space into your business and into yourself? What would that look like? And actually the guy that I had this little mini relationship with was like, you know, I think that you need to spend some time with yourself. You know, like you need to actually commit to and form a relationship with yourself like really no, like I'd been doing that a bit but like really kind of go all in on getting to know yourself and, and and creating that sense of love within yourself so that you're not needing this external this external thing and um and that's what I did for three months and I mean you're talking to me now when I'm like just out the other side of this so I I have actually met someone <laughs> and you're going to laugh when, because you're talking about like the travel and, you know, that side of things. Uh, I've met someone who's like living in Amsterdam. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so I'm not dating, right? But then I decide I've hit my three month mark and I decide that I'm going to date again. And so I go, I, I download the apps because I'm like, at least that way I can filter, you know, who's, li- who's living in Bali, who's not, and who is looking for a relationship and who's not. And I've taken a very logical approach to this, considering how emotionally driven I am, which is quite funny. But basically, I was like, I was literally sitting there and I was like, I don't want to date the men in Bali right now. Like, they're doing my head in. Like, I'm not not getting the type of guy that I want. And then coronavirus had started to chase people off as well. And I've had a really interesting interaction with someone who just was not what I was looking for. Like lovely, lovely guy, but just said he wanted a relationship, but then was completely unable to make space for that in his life. And so like, that was fine. And I got forced to look at some stuff, which was like quite a big deal for me. Anyways, I had had a trip to Europe planned in June anyways, for my family, like my memorial for my dad. And I planned to spend three weeks in Amsterdam because I love Amsterdam. And I had kind of wanted to date there. I know that sounds crazy, but I kind of did. And I, and I wanted, 
wanted to experience that city and experience the people there. So I was kind of getting a bit bored of the dating scene in Bali. And then the next day, I got a notification from Tinder that said, we've opened up Tinder Passport for free, which I didn't even know was an option, probably, thank God, because I would have been fishing in all of the different global puns. And they were like, you can you can speak to anyone anywhere in the world. And this was like coronavirus is like well and truly underway, you know, like lockdowns have started to happen. And so I wasn't sure if my trip in June was still going to go ahead, but I was like, eh, it might be quite fun to see who's out there at the other the other side of the world. And so being the good little marketer that I am, I sent out kind of some pitch messages <laughs> to all these guys that I was matching with. Um, I was like swiping right. I was like, I love Dutchmen are just like, oh, they, they fit the bill in so many ways. I was like swiping right on all these hotties um, and matching with most of them. And But then I had to say, you know, hey, look, I'm in Bali. And, um, you know, this is why I'm not dating here. And I'm curious. I have a trip home. I have a trip to Europe in, in June. And I'm curious to start speaking to, you know, you in, in the Netherlands. But before we fall in love, I just need to know, can you run your business remotely? <laughs> that my, so that was my qualifying question. And obviously, I got a lot of, you know, ghosting and unmatching and people were like, who the fuck is this weirdo? And I got a couple of people that were curious, but didn't, you know, no, sorry, I can't run my business remotely. It's a qualifying question, right? Like I'm looking for someone who isn't going to be intimidated by that type of message, which is like quite aggressive in a lot of ways and definitely not um, passive. I'm also setting the filter of like, you need to be able to run your business remotely because I'm not going to move to the country that you're living in full time. And anyways, uh, it resonated with someone who I've now struck up this digital relationship with. Um, It's been nearly two weeks now and it's all rather bizarre. It's all rather bizarre. And it's quite strange because it fits, it fits so perfectly with where I am in my life right now. You know, like I, I still need to create space to, to commit to myself and my business. And I kind of, honestly, I didn't expect this to happen. I was kind of just looking for some inspiration. (laughs) (laughs) I was kind of looking to like match with some hot guys and like be excited about that later on. I didn't really expect for this to pop up um, the way that it has. And, you know, when we speak in three months time, things might look very different. This may end up going nowhere and all the rest of it, but it's been a really beautiful experience for me. And it's definitely testing my the concept for me around commitment and what that means. And I've because I've felt like a failure in dating, um, I've gone all in on the learning too, right? And I started reading some amazing books. One of them is Eight Dates by John, John and Julie Gottman. Um, and in that book, they talk about the fact that Attraction isn't actually formulaic and you could end up being matched with so you know anyone really and they can't kind of predict who's going to be attracted to who. Yes, there's personality types that work well together, blah, 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 but attraction is such a random thing and you're going to inherit a set of um, really annoying traits that will always grind your gears with your partner and you know you can swap them out but only for a whole new set of things. And they, they say, you know, your, the, the, the things that you fight about as a couple are probably always going to be things that you fight about. Um, and you just need to make a decision as to whether those things are deal breakers or not, you know, and decide what type of set of problems you're kind of comfortable with. And their view on what makes relationships work is actually the commitment to that person. 
and and not having this mindset that you can do better or there's someone better out there for you. Uh, and that has been, without going too much into the why, that has been a huge mindset shift for me in that it's it's given me permission almost to 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 choose to choose love to choose to say yes to partnership uh to assess you know that person based on values and you know shared uh desires and and shared uh, visions for the future um but to kind of be like yeah well like why not like let's start living our life and see what happens and i think that commitment because i think i've always had this perspective that uh that you like, I think a lot of girls have this, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but this idea of like the one that there's this perfect fit for you out there somewhere. And that, you know, your journey will be to find them. And it's like, I, I think I've kind of dispelled that Disney myth in the last few months. I've sort of realized that maybe, maybe it is just the choice to find someone that is going to give you what you want. Um, and then commit to that person, knowing that the value of partnership is greater than the challenge of what partnership brings. Does that make any sense? <laughs> oh, it makes so much sense. What I liked about the Tinder passbook moment, your pitches, it sounds like you decided that you were going to first make that commitment to yourself by sending that pitch and saying, can you commit to your remote business? Because that's what I'm already here for. And I like that you're still committing to yourself through this new way that you're reaching out to men. Yeah, and actually just, just to jump off that a little bit more, it's funny because so many of my friends thought I was ridiculous. And you know what, like without tooting my own horn, I will always do the things that people won't do. Like I'll get up at stupid o'clock to go and catch the first waves of the day, you know, when no one else is in the water. And I will do the the stupid, crazy things for for that little bit of extra of life. Like I will do that. And and a lot of people were like, Ella, it's nuts. Like, why would you why would you do that? Like you've got plenty of great guys to date in Bali. And I was just like, because it's not what I want. Like I actually know what I want. I have a feeling that I might meet somebody in Amsterdam that's gonna really work for me. And I love Amsterdam and I'm happy to spend some of it every year you know like I know it's weird but it's what I want and I want to do things my way <laughs> you know what you want <laughs> the heart knows what the heart wants it does and I think it's funny that it's transpired the way that it has and like I said who knows if it will work out with this guy or not and regardless if it doesn't the what I'm taking from this and what I'm learning about what makes me happy what I love in another person in terms of a partner. And, and I mean, he's just such a wonderful guy. He's given me so much faith in men again. (laughs) Yeah. Like really that, like none of this is a bad experience. So it's just another affirmation just to like go after what you want, even if it seems a bit ludicrous, even if it seems to defy convention and seems really strange, who knows where it will lead you? Like take the risk, put yourself out there. I got a lot of people criticize me even over the app. Like some people were quite mean, Meh, you know, like I'll take that. Like I'm very niche. I'm not after quantity. I'm after quality. And you know, I've only really, I had one conversation with one other guy that kind of went nowhere. And then this guy jumped on the scene and straight away he had my attention. We had each other's attention straight away. And it's like, I just love that my niche strategy is seemed to out. It's what I teach first and foremost in my business mentoring. So it's just so great to see it play out in my love life. You don't need 10 chats going that are going well. You just need that one, especially based on what you've said about how much energy you were giving to your relationships and the past. The people saying, what are you doing? You're, you're not doing it right. If you feel it's it's right for you, that's the most important thing because you're committed to yourself. 
Yeah, and who knows? Like, there's no, there is no playbook for this thing called life. No. I've given myself permission to do whatever I want the way that I want it. And I think that if you're going to choose a life like that, you have to be prepared to, you know, Brene Brown puts it perfectly, like fall over face down in the arena and get up again, you know? And I, I mean, I've had this experience with recruitment. Like I've written job ads that have gotten me hate mail. <laughs> and I'm lovely sweet person honestly if any my friends would be like Ella's the most loving sweet nice person and sometimes when I write stuff I just come across as this like dragon lady (laughs) and people are like I would never want to work for her like she's everything that's wrong with like an employee and employer I'm just like oh my god I found the most amazing team members from it. So <laughs> I, I will take the hate mail because it gets me ultimately what I want. I think if you're going to if you're going to demand an extraordinary life, you have to be prepared to do extraordinary things. And extraordinary things don't come easily and you're going to have to fail a fuckload of times first, um, you know, to be able to see to be able to see what you're really made of and what what you're really prepared to do to have what you want. And passion is so important. Like it sounds like you are creating these passionate responses and it's it's going both ways. Wait for the passionately positive to come your way and stick with that. Have you seen the movie Two Days in Paris? No. I recommend it to you. It's essentially about what you were saying about committing to one person and deciding to make that commitment. It's essentially uh, this woman is with a guy and she's not sure if she should look for new relationships. But uh, there's a beautiful moment in the movie where they're asking the question, should you just decide to commit and just all the things around your partner that you don't like that annoy you? Should you just deal with them? Because commitment is more important. So I think you might like it. Yeah, that sounds right up my street. Well, that's the, I mean, you know, it's very difficult to persuade me if I can't logically buy into an argument. Like, it's weird, like I said, how emotionally responsive I am. I think think in quite a logical, systematic way, some of the time, my friends will really watch this and be like, not true. Um, but I, so, so with, with, like, I would recommend to anybody that listens to this and, and to you, if you're interested, Becky, like the, the John Gottman stuff, like my friend Aaron recommended him to me. He's just, they're just, they're amazing. Everything's so scientifically validated. You know, they, they've been, they've studied over 3000 couples and they can predict now with like a 90% accuracy, who's going to be in a lasting relationship slash marriage and who won't be and who will stay together, but also be unhappy. Um, and just based off these these types of values and actually like the book eight dates is about these eight conversations that you need to have with your partner Um, and actually like it's that that's the thing it's like communication around the potential sticking points seems to be the make or break thing as opposed to the actual people themselves so I I love that I think I'll I think I will watch that um, and I'm going to be so curious as to how everything unfolds uh yeah, I'm so curious. I'm my own little experiment. <laughs> I love it. And you could keep experimenting for life. On that note about seeing what the future holds, I did want to ask you how you've been experiencing things emotionally in Bali with the coronavirus. And I imagine like all of us having to stay put in one place longer than you're used to. Yeah. Um, look, Becky, I'll be perfectly honest. We are so lucky here. So, you know, social distancing is in effect, yes but my tennis club is still open. Um, One of the gyms is still open. Uh, You know, they're like hectically disinfecting everything, but also Bali just didn't get as bad as the rest of the world before we implemented, you know, some of the quarantine isolation, social distancing practices. So 
it just my I'm like I'm in Oluwatu. I'm at a five star hotel right now with my girlfriend um, that we negotiated a ridiculous deal at because the place is empty and we've come down for three days, basically all inclusive for like something stupid. Um, and the place is literally empty. Like we've got this three football field sales pool to ourselves. Um, and like, that's how I'm spending my coronavirus experience. So I am I feel so blessed and so lucky that I'm, that I'm in Bali for all of this. And also that my business is completely location independent you know i don't and 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 also you know my business partner is very smart and he saw this recession coming you know we didn't know it would be triggered by a coronavirus but we saw the the current economic downturn coming and he knew that education products were the place to be in and so my life whilst it definitely was turned upside down for a week or so also around i was very anxious i think everyone was very anxious right and like even though logically there was no reason for me to be afraid I felt afraid. I was like, is the world going to end? You know, like, I like it. And I was pissed off, man. I was like, things were friggin' sweet for me. Like, I don't really want them to change. Um, and so, but then seeing how little it has changed compared to the rest of the world has given me a lot of perspective. I can't surf at the moment, which is very frustrating, but that's the worst thing that I'm currently dealing with. So for me, yes, I'm spending a bit more time at home, but like I said, I'm gonna, I'm about to set up. And I can't go to a co-working space because they're all closed. So I'm about to. The villas are all empty in Bali now, so I'm probably going to be able to negotiate a pretty good rate on being able to get a villa as an office, and then I can move between the two places and get a sense of space. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's very difficult for a lot of people that are listening to here because there's so many people are living in, you know, between four walls at the moment. Um, but my life has been fairly unaffected by it. So the retreat space has been interesting because obviously a lot of the retreat owners are, and retreats are being cancelled, right? And one of my major clients that I just finished up with even prior to this happening um, has had to cancel retreats for the next 90 days. So the retreat industry has definitely taken a hit but my product, you know, Squadernized product is really focused not just around the physical experiences, but around online programs as well, like how to build and design transformational online programs, how to market and sell them. And so everybody that's in our program that had a retreat is now pivoting and using the same strategies to sell online programs and it's become very successful. And actually that was kind of my advice anyways. You know, people would get on a call with me, they'd tell me about their retreat and then I'd ask them to tell me about the rest of their business and they didn't have any systems for that. So I we'd restructure their business to be a core online offering with then a couple of retreats uh, a year. So it was kind of like that was what was happening anyways. And so pivoting for us has just meant changing our marketing message a little bit to make sure that retreat owners feel supported during this time and that they've kind of got, you know, a plan um, moving forward. So, and, and I mean, I seem to be falling in love digitally. I've got this island to me and like me and my friends have got this to ourselves at the moment. Um, I, I feel, I feel like extremely blessed. Um, to be having this experience of what this would be, this would be, you know, tragedy for so much of the world. And that's not been my experience of it just yet. Um, a friend of mine lost her mum to coronavirus, I found out yesterday, which was deeply sad. Um, and I'm sure that there's plenty of people that are experiencing that, but I have a, you know, I lost my dad last year, so he would have been my primary concern. My mum is in an amazing bill of health, so touch wood, um, everything will be okay with her over in the UK. Um, but I, you know, I, I spoke at a, an online festival a couple of weeks ago and my message to the people that I was speaking to who were going through extreme 
turmoil right now. Like I was like, I had my coronavirus tragedy two years ago, (laughs) you know, like most people are having the rug pulled out from underneath them now and are having to question everything. Like I did that two years ago. Um, I had this experience then um, and it was as high stakes as this is for a lot of people, you know, like it felt like that for me then. And I'm just so grateful that that happened then um, and, and, and I'm in the position that I am in now, what it has done though, is it has pushed me to want to help as much as possible now, because I can, you know, I have developed skills, tools, and I have the experience of what it means to overcome real adversity, uh, that I just want to help as many people get through this, not just survive it, but actually thrive, you know, use this as an opportunity, um, to get out the other side of it, whether it's, whether it's the personal development work that needs to happen on your mental headspace to be able to cope with confinement or you're being with yourself for four weeks, which is hell for most people, or whether it's rebuilding your business, you know, to, uh, to a way that supports the lifestyle that you want and in a way that's going to leverage, uh, leverage your time. What advice do you have for people to make the best of this coronavirus time that they're stuck at home or they're, like you said, the rugs being pulled out from under them? Mm. So um, that's a great question. I think. Uh, I have, I have quite a bit of advice. I think the first thing I would say is the people that you have to support you through this is everything because not only do you need to be surrounded by people that are going to help with your mental state, but it's important to, to surround yourself with people that are making moves right now. If you can join a mastermind or, reach out to, you know, loads of people have free groups. I mean, I have a free, I have two free groups. One is um, the Alchemy of She, and that is like a women's group. There's, you know, a couple of hundred women in there that I used to come to my women's circles and um, which is something we didn't get into today, but I used to do those and kind of hold space for women. Um, That's a great space that, you know, women can kind of share and support. Um, And I also have my retreat owner free group as well for business owners that run transformational experiences. I think free groups where you can, and, and paid memberships as well, like programs and, and education in general, where you can be connected with, supported by a group of cheerleaders and um, people that have a strategy. Like, you know, right at the beginning of this conversation, Becky, we talked about asking for help and that it's not a weakness and it's a strength. I think if you don't ask for help now and you let yourself drown, then you only have yourself to blame. But if you put your hand up and say, I need help, please, can you support me? This is how. Um, not only are you actually putting yourself first, but people will respect you for it. Um, everyone that can help mostly wants to help, you know, like the people that have the strategies, the people that have the skills, they want to lead right now. So let them like put your hand up, invest in yourself. Like I know you're afraid to do that because the future is uncertain financially, but one thing's for certain is if you do nothing, (laughs) you're going to stay in the same place. If not, it's going to get worse. So don't, you know, don't sit still, do take action um, and, and, and take it in a, in a, you know, a calculated risk way. You know, if you're going to invest, like I speak to a lot of people, um, you know, I have calls with people that are jumping onto our program and not everyone is right. Like don't convert a hundred percent of the calls that we take. And it breaks my heart when I don't see people prepared to invest in themselves because I know what it's done for me and I know what it does for the other students that we have on our program. And whether it's like, you know, an online business program like ours, or it's a, um, you know, a a personal development program, or, uh, you know, one specifically for women, or it's 
whatever it is that you think that you need to get you like the strategies and the people that you need to get you out of this space, I would say, um, ask for help. And then the last thing that I'll say around, around being with yourself in the same space for, um, four weeks is like, I think four weeks or longer really, isn't it? I think that all of this can be viewed as an opportunity. And I don't mean, I don't mean like beating yourself and everyone else over the head with positive affirmations. Like this is so great. This is so great. This is so great. It's like, no, it sucks. Like this is, this is really freaking annoying for a lot of people, but you can choose to kind of have that perspective on it and be frustrated, or you can just look at the ways that you can make the most of it. And I would set out a plan for how you're going to spend this time, you know, set a really strict daily routine for yourself because it gives you a sense of purpose every day. If you plan what you're going to do tomorrow, the night before, then when you go to bed, you can rest and you wake up and you're just executing, you know, and you just get stuff done. And if you've got something to work towards that time internally in the house won't be, won't be so bad. And if you're connecting with people frequently, you can share what's going on. And I would encourage you to do that honestly. You know, like don't tell people that things are fine if they're not fine. If you're feeling shit and you're struggling and this is really hard for you, then tell people that. Not not on your Facebook status, but you know, <laughs> which everyone's doing. But reach out to someone who will listen and ask them to just do that. Not try and fix your problems, but just listen. Because I think it would be very easy for a lot of people to let themselves get eaten up by their negative thoughts right now. And if anyone has experienced anxiety in their life, which most of us do, anxiety is a monster and can paralyze you, right? Like I've experienced that and it came back with vengeance when all this coronavirus stuff hit. I just talked to my friends. I like sat down with them and I was like, oh, I feel really anxious. And they were like, oh my God, me too. <laughs> And it wasn't like this big thing of like, I have anxiety or I'm an anxious person. I was just like, I'm feeling anxiety in my body right now. Like just wanted to share that and hearing that they were too, you know, and it not, not being attached to that. It's just like, it's natural for us to do that, but being able to share openly and honestly with people, um, I think will make a, will make a big difference. That's a bunch of advice, but hopefully it's helpful. (laughs) Oh, that was so helpful, Ella. Thank you so much for sharing. And like you said, you've already been through this two years ago. You've taken that hard look and done the hard work on yourself. And yeah, this is really a great opportunity in so many ways for us to take a hard look at what we're doing and what's working and not working. And also like, you know, I think don't put too much pressure on yourself either. You know, like if you want to take some time off and you can afford to do that, like do that, you know, if you need to hustle and get uh, some sort of freelance job online whilst you figure out everything else out just to pay the bills, like do that, you know, like I, I say, create an environment that's going to set you up for success. Like don't set yourself up for failure. I've done that so much and it just always works. I always fail. <laughs> it's like, what's the best, what's the best thing for you right now? Like, and that, that does not, that is not a permission and is not an excuse to sit and watch Netflix for eight hours a day, because that is not in your best interest, but maybe one hour a day is. And it's like, okay, I'm allowed to watch Netflix for an hour if I do X, Y, Z, but like, you know, what's best for you. Um, and what's going to set you up, you know, for the, for the best chance of success. And I think for a lot of people that just does, that just means just don't do this alone. You know, yes, you're going to be on your own 
inside, but it doesn't mean that you need to be disconnected from um, from people around you. And my like my offer, as always, and whenever I speak or I I do interviews like this, Becky is like if anything that I've said has resonated with you today, and you feel you feel like speaking with me could be beneficial or helpful for you, I would love to be that ear for you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to schedule a digital coffee chat or whatever um, and, and offer any support, um, positivity, guidance, just an ear, whatever I can. Thank you so much. Where is the best place for people to reach out if they want to get in touch with you? Yeah, their website is still in progress. For the educational <laughs> product you were talking about? No, the educational product people can go. So we're School of Magic Retreat Accelerator. So um, there is a free group um, called Fill Your Retreat from Stressed Out to Sold Out. Um, but the website URL is go.schoolofmagic.co and then forward slash case hyphen study. I'm assuming um, I can give yeah. you the link to that. Um, so that's the educational product. The Alchemy of She is my Facebook group and page. Um, and I will, I'm on Facebook, like Facebook messenger is like the best place to get me. Oh, there's Instagram, I guess as well, which is, um, Miss Cook. Thank you so much, Ella. It was so great to hear moving around the world as you did starting in Zambia and then ending up in Bali surfing the waves and finding all these new and exciting things out about yourself along the way has really changed your life and will continue to do so. And thank you so much for sharing with us today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your wonderful questions. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful day and enjoy the rest of your time in Bali until Amsterdam. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed my interview with Ella today. I absolutely love how she's unafraid in so many areas of her life, whether it's catching the next wave, pivoting into a new career, or even walking away from everything that feels familiar and starting all over again. As Ella says, sometimes you need to do the things that no one else will do to get results that no one else will get. I also liked Ella's advice about how this time where we've been forced to sit still and stay home is a good opportunity in a way to learn some new skills or take the time to get to know ourselves even better. I encourage you to read that book you've always wanted to read, call that friend you haven't spoken to in a while, or cook that meal you've always wanted to find the time to prepare. Take this opportunity to enjoy these things. I have put links to Ella's marketing agency for high-end retreats, oh, something that really sounds fantastic right about now, on the schooloftravels.com website, in addition to her Facebook group, The Alchemy of She, which helps women discover their own magic. Listeners, I want to thank you as always for tuning in and coming back for more lessons from the School of Travels. Until next time, stay safe, stay strong, and stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the School of Travels podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to The Sam Chase for allowing us to use their song, In a Perfect World. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode, and remember to always let travel be your teacher. If you keep your options open, there are places you will go. They will treat you like the kings and queens your parents thought you'd be when you were born. You'd see it all with your head up standing tall, and you'd look back and think it's funny how you spent your time and money in this world. Living in this perfect world.